Welcome to Courage is a Skill, the podcast where we deconstruct fear. What role does fear play in our lives? Where has fear helped us and where has it held us back? Our guests share the tools that they've used to crush their fears and accomplish their goals. The goal of our podcast is to demystify fear through the power of conversation and community. Courage is a skill. Let's build it together. The Courage is a Skill podcast is brought to you by Brave Fitness. Brave Fitness is a program that extends beyond the gym and into other areas of life. We are working to strengthen our bodies and our minds while building a social community like no other. You can access daily workouts that can be done anywhere at any time with no equipment necessary, as well as 30-day specialty fitness courses. Brave Fitness is a program that we at Courage is a Skill created, and you can find Brave Fitness on the Apple App Store. You can follow us on Instagram at the Brave Fitness app as well. Welcome back to Courage is a Skill. Today's guest is a personal friend whose work inspires me immensely. Dana Fidel is a sex educator and a true pioneer in her field. In this episode, Dana discusses the barriers to quality and empowering sex education in the public school system, as well as her personal journey as a leading edge educator, communicator, and innovator in the world of sex education. I hope that you enjoy our conversation on this episode of Courage is a Skill. As a kickoff, uh, welcome to Courage is a Skill, where we talk to many people about fear, where it's helped us, where it's held us back. I am so freaking excited to have you on the show. It's really nice to see you. How did we first connect? What is our... <laughs> how did we get hooked up with each other? Uh, I was selling energy bars at the uh, Yarmouth Farmer's Market. Dive bars. That's right. I remember this completely. Right. And I was selling that book. Yeah, I was yeah. selling the book on yeah. paleo uh, eating. Yeah. And I think I bought You did. Coffee. You were like one of the first people who did it. It meant so much to me. You called me and we met like in front of Rosemont Market, I think, in Yarra. On the hill, on Montreal Hill. Right. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, you were just so captivating, and I loved everything that you were talking about, and it really resonated with where I was um, and, and why I was even selling dive bars because it was yeah. just – I mean, I was selling dive bars because um, I wanted more of a career in sex education, but I also wanted to engage people on their health and well-being in any way possible. Totally. Yeah. So I made these, like – four or five ingredient bars, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. package them in some weird plastic packaging, you know, that was like affordable and, yeah. you know, paid my, my dues for the farmer's market. And then That's just got that. to talk to people about what they were eating yes. and how they were feeling. And maybe we would talk about sex. I don't, it was just an engagement. I loved, strategy. I loved it. I mean, that's one of the big things that attracted me to you is you mm. were just, you were making things happen. You were taking ideas, putting them out there, getting in front of people and, and engaging and it was the coolest thing. So it's been so, so crazy cool to watch your journey over the past couple of years into your current work with Sex of Self. And we're going to dig into that on the show. Like, I, I want to know everything that you're doing and what inspires it. But I wanted to start the show off with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes ever by Debbie Millman. And the quote is that confidence is overrated and courage is more important. Mm. And it was the idea that confidence means that we keep doing the same thing over and over again and get better at it. Mm. But courage is the art or, or the practice of doing a new thing, doing something outside of that, that, that comfort zone for the first time. When I heard about what you were doing with sex of self, it, it, felt, it's, it felt new to me. It mm. felt really courageous and exciting that way. Mm. Like it was like, oh, cool. What is this about? Mm. What is sex of self about? <laughs> How did you start it? And 
That's what are you working to do with that? Yeah, well, thank you for all of that. And um, it's been helpful to go over your questions and really think about, like, what was the impetus for this? And because um, Sex of Self started, I think, three or four years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll just admit now that it's really not, it, it, it was more of an experiment. And it, we're not really, Kelly and I are not functioning as Sex of Self okay. um, facilitators any longer. Mm-hmm. Um but we started it because we were both inspired by having conversations around sex with other people and we enjoyed each other so much and really fed off of each other's energy and intellect and um, we learned a lot from each other that we mm-hmm. wanted to create something in the space uh, in Maine where there was there was a huge lack of yeah, this conversation. Absolutely. And that's one thing I think that really again when we talk about courage Talking about mm. sex, talking about anything um, that's not talked about often, openly, in Maine is probably objectively harder than in Manhattan or in any place else. And so there's almost another layer of working to do, to do groundbreaking work and have groundbreaking conversations here in the state around um, that's right. any subject, again, that's not so openly talked about. That's that's right, including the conversation around fear, right? It's, it's uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. if, it's scare, if it's super scary to do to have a conversation around it, then it's that much more important to have that conversation. I love it. You know, one of our goals on the, on the podcast and through our work is to start looking at fear somewhat objectively. It, give it a meaning, you know, because yeah. it's kind of an abstract shadowy word, so it's courage maybe. Mm-hmm. And to start looking at actual risk tolerance in our lives and how we calculate risk mm-hmm. and how we can approach things that have maybe a higher potential reward if we can navigate the risk involved. Something like your project, there must have been initially before you started it, some trepidation or fear was there before you kicked it out and like made it public and started doing your first you know, workshops. I I would not say that there was much fear in mm-hmm. starting this project. What it was mostly was the fear that um, uh, that I would never be able to get started. But that um, that the because where I was at in my sex education career was. I was, I was hustling. And that is basically the, the story around sex education is that you have to create your own work. Um, sure. There aren't jobs on Craigslist or on, you know, the nonprofit boards right. for a sex educator because um, it's, it's, not, it's not valued. Um, and so with, with knowing that, um, Kelly and I wanted to create our own thing, which really did inspire us. Um, at this point in our lives to create more um, from what we have learned out of sex of self. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself as courageous as the people who are, um, you know, coming, that were coming to the workshops. I'd love to hear more about that dynamic of someone saying, maybe I haven't talked about sex openly with others now you've facilitated an environment to do so, and now here it is. Right. And they're there. What was, do you remember the first workshop that you did? Mm, the first one. It was a series. So we had 10 classes. Okay. You had to sign up for, for um, at least five of them. You could come to all 10. Um, they weren't drop-ins because we wanted to create a container. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, what we were finding right out, right out of the gate, and this uh, occurred every, every time we tried to facilitate a workshop, was that you had to have a conversation first before you had the conversation with others. You had to, right. you had to talk to people one-on-one about why they might, um, might need to come, might need to yeah. show up, mm-hmm. why, um, why this conversation is important. And it wasn't necessarily important to them personally, but it was important for the the institution, you know, mm-hmm. of like this kind, con- like sex needs to be brought to the table. Uh, can you help us? Can you help us bring this conversation? And because um, we can't run a workshop without other people, right. and that was definitely part of the challenge of sex itself is um, is not necessarily convincing people that it was good for them, but um, overriding their fear. Yeah. Making them feel comfortable. So in the first workshop, was that, mm-hmm. is that something you learned by doing it? Were you maybe expecting more engagement or openness? And, and did you evolve the process of doing sort of a one-on-one convo first? Mm. We, you know, we knew a lot of the members that, that showed up for the, mm-hmm. for the 10, 10 workshop series. And that was incredible. And, um, and I think a lot of people were just curious, and so yeah. they took that leap of faith, mm-hmm. and they and they you know they learned about um, we had a class on polyamory. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, were, 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 was each class focused, or was it? Um, how did you organize the structure around thinking ten opportunities to talk about yeah. sex with others? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I was looking back at my curriculum for um, my high school curriculum, and then sex ed curric- or sex of self curriculum. And there are so many topics. So why did we, how did we get to distill yeah, to these 10? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really just based on how do we get the people in the room to feel um, more of a sense of themselves? Right. Like, because that's the foundation. Um, that's where we got the, the name sex of self that comes from sense of self. I love the name. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. And that was, that was a big conversation Kelly and I had. It's like, what is the point of sex of self. Well, it's to create, it's to create the foundation to get a more, um, a a clear picture for folks of what their authenticity really means to them. And authenticity is about, not just about honesty and it's not about like what you wear. Um, you know, it's really much, much deeper than that, obviously. Um, sex can feel like an out of body experience for a lot of folks and how to get them grounded and more in tune with, with what they want, um, which is not, not a simple task, right. which creates um, it's, it's time and practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of the topics that we talked about were, were how to create boundaries, how to say yes, so yes and no activities. Um, like I mentioned, polyamory, you know, Kelly um, is really well-versed in, in different relationship styles. We also talked about, you know, pleasure-based anatomy. Mm-hmm. So talking about the brain erogenous zones, which can include the skin, really the tongue, the eyes, the ears. So interesting to get into the neurology of sex. That's really cool territory. Yeah. And, you know, we're not scientists. We're just mm-hmm. enthusiasts. Yes, so, totally. So we have created this curriculum based on our own personal experiences, based on our own education, and then our, um, our just our general interest and topics that we felt like were, were pushing the envelope. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And, and was that a positive? Did, did, did you get a positive um, result of people coming because the topics did push the envelope? Mm. Well, did it seem like that drew 
better questions or more engagement or was it an overall positive? I think it was just overall. Overall, I think people just wanted to have a space where um, they could talk about they could talk about their sex lives or hear about other sex lives because the the isolation that the lack of conversation around sex is is so deep um, and that there is a need. It's just um, it's it's about retraining the brain to to have to feel more comfortable. Um, and I, and I know that some of the people in that group were friends of ours um, and that were just curious about what we were up to because um, yeah. we took a lot of time in planning um, our workshop. How, was there any criteria to come to the workshop? Yes. You had to um, identify as a woman. Okay. And um, the reason Kelly and I really geared towards women wasn't it was, it was really just simple. It was, we were both women and we had those experiences and we know that men, um, there's a huge absence of, of, uh, men's groups or community groups for, and opportunities for men to, to feel, um, intimate, um, and to rely on each other for, you know, and, and have these con- important conversations. But Kelly and I, that was just not a territory we felt comfortable with at the time. Really? Cool. And, and have, you know, since, like, had conversations about, like, what if we include men in these conversations? Like, how dynamic would that be? And um, she's doing super, super cool work right now. Kelly is? Yes. And what is she up to? Um, I would hesitate to, like, try to articulate it because she is, like, she has trouble articulating it, but she is um, a somatic body worker. Okay. So she gets people, she gets clients into her office and they have a conversation around Mm -hmm. um, their sexuality or whatever else is coming up for them. And then she puts them on a table. Um, She's a a a licensed massage therapist and um, also an intuitive, for lack of a better word, and really gets a feel for what is showing up for them. That is really, on really the body. interesting. And I think that we're going to uh, just even talk about paradigm shifts. Mm. I think that um, that's really, really exciting work. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I recently um, was working with a masseuse and I had no background in body work. I, I didn't know anything about it, but it was evident in one session that something was taking place that I couldn't override. And I thought, well, this is really interesting stuff. And we have all these different things we're focused on. So I never tried to figure it out. I'm like, I really do wonder what's happening there. That's a world of exploration, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, I'm, I, I remember I couldn't talk for like an hour afterwards. Wow. Yes. Like, wow, this is really, really deep. That's I wonder what's me. up. <laughs> yes. So that's where the Kelly's magic came in. Yeah. So what I learned a lot about, I learned a lot about myself through, through facilitating these workshops and being with other women, but mostly through Kelly. And because she took, like, I... I we were a good match because I was more of the brain and I studied and I, you know, researched, but she really brought people into their bodies and got, got folks to really tap into what they were experiencing. And, um, for example, one exercise that she brought to the table was, uh, this idea of, of playing out your sex history and whatever that looked like. Mm -hmm. So you could start with, you know, the moment you first uh, masturbated or you could start with, you know, yesterday and an experience that you had, like that could be your sex history and you would move your body for 10 minutes and be witnessed by a partner 
Um, so this is one-on-one partner work in a workshop setting? That's right, right. Really? Couple, yeah. Really um, powerful. Yeah, and it was, you know, you would often, it would often be a group where they didn't know each other, so you'd be witnessed by a perfect stranger, which often was very helpful um, because you didn't have to answer to somebody else. You know, right. there was no follow-up. It was just right. you were being watched and, and um, you know, non-judgmentally. So that's phenomenal. That's just phenomenally deep work. It is. It is. And um, I got to experience that for myself, and I thought that that was, you know, really creative and, um, yeah, pr- provoking. Mm-hmm. Just provoking. And, um, you know, we're, we're both doing sex education in our own ways, and we are so grateful that we had these years to really experiment on what um, what was working and um, the maybe maybe you find this to be true for your own business but it's very hard to get people through the door especially if they have a lot of questions and feel don't feel necessarily that secure about the topic whenever you're on um, Sarah Tangretti who was the second podcast guest mm-hmm. and Phenomenal episode. Nice. Listening. You know, she said something, there's so many gems in her podcast. One of the things that she said that was so good as a clarifier is she said, you know, if you want to play on the leading edge of anything, it's, I don't want to ruin her quote, it was just the idea that, like, remember that this is the space that we choose to play in. Because mm. it's so hard, it can be hard to get someone into a business mm. that's comfortable. You know, we sell ice cream. You know, right. we sell donuts. Right. And and no knock on anybody selling ice cream or donuts, by the way. But if if you're having people do very interactive, personal, um, deep, vulnerable work with one another, right? Then you've added these layers of barriers, and then the real magic mm-hmm. is when you get it. You know, you you see it come to life with this small group who takes that leading edge concept and makes it more accessible to do these things with each other. Right. To have the conversations, to do work like what you just described. Yeah. Uh, so that that that's such an exciting thing. Yeah. And it's exciting again to see it happen here in Maine because it's it's just a bit less common than a larger city with more folks for sure. That's right. That's what right. were some standout moments from the workshop series? Things that really surprised you, or things that really taught you? Mm. Um, what what are the lessons that you've extracted from that? Mm. Lessons. Um. You know, what, moments. yeah. You know, David. More, more recently, because I, I feel like those um, workshop series were so long ago, and I grew exponentially mm-hmm. from there. But I think um, most recently, I co-facilitated a um, workshop with women in a, a of new moms. So there were oh, about twenty of them really cool. in a group. Yeah, and they all sort of knew each other. Um, some of them knew each other more than others. Some knew each other's husbands or partners, and um, there were tears right away. Like it, it went deeply. It went deep quickly. And um, and what I remember and what I keep reminding myself of is that no matter what shows up, um, there is the um, or, or no matter how well I facilitate the conversation, it is the opportunity of creating the space that allows people to not feel so alone. Because even though some some folks knew each other in the room, they did not know about their sexual uh, frustrations or their um, challenges, their their joys even. Um, and it was beautiful to witness. And I felt really lucky that 
um, you know, there's a lot of gratitude at the end. They're like totally vulnerable and they're melting on the chair. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just exposed myself so much. But that, that is the vulnerability that um, we as a culture need to be continuing to check in about. It's like, how, how much more um, connected can I feel? And it is about that, that. connection. I love that. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering, was there any type of follow-up work? You know, when you think about an mm-hmm. intimate, intimate experience with anyone, and then there's almost this check-in afterwards because you yeah. were so vulnerable. Was there follow-up work that went on mm. after those workshops? Or did, what, what, did they stay connected in some way? Did they get a chance to almost debrief after the uh, experience that happened? That's a really great question. And what I, um, in that particular workshop, I simply encouraged folks to um, do more work. Like, yeah, yeah totally. like I'm not a, I'm not totally. a therapist. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I was more than welcome um, to have folks contact me afterwards, but there totally. were more there were more hands that went up to seek more help. Yeah, and so I referred out, mm-hmm. and that uh, you know I referred to um, I, I did this without Kelly, but I referred folks to Kelly. I referred folks to other sex therapists in town right. because there's a lot of there was a lot of, of things that showed up that you got to move back in history to deal with. Sure. And, and all I want to, all I try to do is just like sit with them in the present and then, um, and then figure out for them what, what the authenticity, um, you know, where they're trying to find themselves in that. Yeah. Um, and with their partnership. Well, you know, it's really, it's one thing that we learn in the gym environment and we, you know, we're, we're not, are we even a gym? I don't even know that we're really a gym. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, we're, we're, we're a human performance center. We're a place where people can come and have deep human experiences. Mm. I don't even like the word gym very much, but you know, cause that just I don't know, seems clinical and weird to me, right. but what we consistently learn and through the brave programs, people, when we can create the grounds for honest, sincere, powerful, vulnerable human interaction, mm. we're all like, Oh my God. God, I freaking need this, you know, <laughs> and I, I and it's amazing. And so I love the pioneering work. I love seeing pioneers create those spaces. Have you had a moment to think about how to reframe the name Jim? Like what? How, what? We, you know, we think about it all the time. <laughs> we really do because we we say that we're a training center. You uh-huh. know, we say that we're a training center and that we're training for life. And we we say that if it doesn't work outside of the gym, then it doesn't fucking work. You know, like you got like you can I don't care what you can lift or how fast you can run. What we care about is whether our practices and principles about how we'd like to hold ourselves, you know, up through life and hold each other up through life. If they if they um, can survive the stress tests of life, Mm -hmm. you know, so are you building a person who's strong dynamically on all fronts? And then can you stress test that? Mm. Are they strong even when it's hard to be strong? Traffic jam and argument. Are we building emotional state control? Are we are we building higher agency to do things? Mm-hmm. Are we just building muscles? Because that's really fucking boring to me. Wow. You know, so wow. that's kind so, of been the right. The drive. So the gym is just a way to get them in the door. And once you have them in the door, you know, to a degree, because I think there's this great interconnection of physical strength and yeah. um, it feeling fit, whatever that may mean. I, I'd love to broaden that definition. But the idea that when we feel strong and we feel capable and we feel confident, and I think yeah. when we feel like we're part of communities. Yeah. We have higher levels of agency to make great change. And there's so much I think that could afford more people engaged in great change. Yeah. You know. I'd love to hear more about what you think. You and I discussed off the air, you know, a paradigm shift being necessary in how we talk about sex mm. as a culture. Mm. With the I'd like to hear more about your current work 
now as, as a sex educator, where you see that, uh, where, what your vision is for it, and also what that what you think that paradigm shift should look like. Mm, mm. How, how would you, you know, if you could almost kind of create the the um, the framework for better opportunities for people, either education, either within the educational system or outside of it, to continue to have a dialogue about sex, what would that look like mm. in a really empowered, God, that's a huge, and accessible yeah, that's, way? That's great. That's great. Um, it, you know, it is it is just a ripple effect at this moment. You know, it's like um, any sort of change is is like you throw a stone and then the ripples get bigger and Absolutely. it could be you know per school or per person you know you have that effect um because systematically it is a very difficult beast mm-hmm. to, ch- to fight against um and for years um since i've been you know sort of claiming myself as a sex educator um and training uh, myself as one that um, I realize that I am fighting um, as a small person, like I'm just one person in a in a in a huge, you know, in a in a big world where, like, there's there, just culturally, it's just not um, it's not accept, access, acceptable to talk about sex. So, I finally bit the bullet and decided to go back to school mm-hmm. and get some letters behind my name. But it, what I'm really excited about is that this graduate school program is, um, is, is called Educational Leadership, which mostly it's for public schools, uh, teachers to go on to be superintendents. Well, that's not my dream. Mm-hmm. My dream is to understand more around the, the public school culture, because that's where you can access the most, the more, most students, that's, sure. you know, um, in the state of Maine, uh, students get one semester of sex education that... in the four years that they're wow. in high school, if that. I didn't know that. That's incredible. I know some. I know some high schools where they only get three days, and it's intensive. It's just like three awkward days. That seems like the most terrible three days <laughs> of a student's <laughs> entire <is>. academic <laughs> right. experience. Right. And then when, you know, students go home to talk to their parents about it, or they don't even talk to their parents, their parents are asking the, their kids about like, so what was your, what were your three days like? You know, they're like confused and contracted and they sure. don't want to talk about it, sure. especially with their parents. Mm-hmm. So how to change that paradigm, how yeah. to shift it. And, um, I'm learning more about data, you know, because data collection is, is yeah. like super important. Um, I'm learning how, like, to play the game in mm. public school systems. I currently work in an alternative school, so that okay. has allowed yeah. me to be really free, and, and I can teach whatever I want. That's really, really cool to have that oh, freedom. It's awesome. It, it, is, it is somewhat of a game, right? Like, yeah. we, we were doing... Um, uh, seminars on stress and anxiety. We do them for free for schools. And we thought, okay, that might be a thing that a school would want. And the pushback <laughs> that we've gotten from, we're just going to show them a film. And and because we have the, we don't need to kiss anybody's butt. We'll just hold the free seminar next to the school. Like we just don't yeah. care how right. we get in, you know, yeah. we want to be able to show students how to influence anxiety from a scientific standpoint. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a, a presentation fairly recently. And I, I, cause I'd like to hear about your experience in schools what you've been able to do in schools and how that's been. But as an example, we, we asked a group of about 40 high school students. We were talking about anxiety, and someone raised their hand. I'll never forget this. And they said, you know, I have been diagnosed with anxiety. I have crippling anxiety. I just want to die. And that's a really, really powerful statement. And we circled back, and we said, you know, so 
we're, we're saying as a society that anxiety is probably a big problem, and we're admitting that many of us have dealt with it. You know, who here can define anxiety? What does it mean? And there wasn't any narrative, not from any level of anyone involved in the health department of the school. There just wasn't a conversation. Mm. And, and it seemed like that was okay, but it's not okay. Because yeah. we're suffering from a thing that we can't understand, that we can't build a scalable training system to overcome it and to help other people overcome it. Right. So I'd love to hear about, like, what, did, what was your objective view of coming into a school and seeing how sex was talked about? And how would you like to shape that or shift that? How did you shape or shift that in your oh, presentations? It, oh, well, I am working on it. I mean, uh, it was it was last year or two years ago that I presented in a, in a group of um, uh, PE teachers and health teachers in public school settings. And I taught, I, I was presenting on how to teach a pleasure-based um, curriculum, like more focus and pleasure. Awesome. Right? I had 20 people in the room. It was... Um, like some of their faces were pretty like astounded. Like, uh, really? You expect me to like, you know, they were, they, they came to the presentation because they were curious. Um, I had assistance from, uh, main family planning to help me because they are, they are involved in public schools. Like they train the trainers. So, um, I was a little bit out of my comfort zone, not really sure what public school teachers are allowed to talk about, but that was what my presentation was on. It's like how to weave it in without even, um, not even necessarily naming the clitoris, but, but like how, how to, um, instead of just, instead of just teaching about reproduction and anatomy and physiology, which is a snoozer, how to, how to talk about like owning your pleasure. But that is in itself controversial because the idea is that, Adults think that if you talk about pleasure, kids are going to run out and seek it. Um, Which is crazy. It is, it is crazy. <laughs> that you've instilled that idea for the very first time. It's old. It's old thinking. That. It's old. It's, it's so prehistoric, and it's and it's um, and I think that's you know I don't think I can do this alone. I right. I need I need a whole like army of people to to really get on board, but people are afraid. Well, that's really exciting. I, I, I want to dig into that so much. So one thing that we use in the physical therapy world, uh, we think about, we're not physical therapists, but we partner with a lot of PTs, mm. or in anything that you're going to do an assessment on somebody's, let's say, range of motion. What is my shoulder range of motion? But the person doing the assessment is so cold yeah. and so clinical that you've, sh- you've created a level of neuromuscular tension where you've shut down the human. And what you get is a false reading. Mm. You say, oh, this person's arm doesn't go over their head. And then later on, they have a couple drinks or a couple cups of coffee with their friends, and they're talking all about their day, and they have, like, full shoulder range of motion. Mm. Like, you shut that down, yeah. you know? So the assessment was flawed. I wonder how powerful it is to have someone not empowering, talking about sex from an anatomical perspective, and almost building a complete neural shutdown. Mm. That transcends because I don't know when the door is next opened. Yeah. Other than an intimate relationship with a partner, maybe a very close friend, where you're ever actually opening that door again. So that idea of a three-day window where we almost shut people down sexually right. completely and send them out to the world <laughs> sounds really screwed up. Yeah. And so I, I, I love that you came in from this pleasure-based perspective because one thing that we do in a workshop is like, okay, we only have an hour. What would be the most important mm. thing on a list of you know 95? Yeah. I love that you chose that. What was mm. what were some of the other ways that you considered approaching? I have one, was it an hour? How long did you have with the students? 
Um, well, I was, I was, so I was teaching health, health educators, um, but I had an hour and a half with them in general. So for the past three years, I've had an hour and hour and a half with high schoolers and got to, got to teach, um, you know, a whole slew of topics, but I just want to go back to what you were saying. And it's about modeling. It's about modeling, um, uh, how, how to be in the world. And that is like to feel more. If, if you have a teacher or a, a doctor or a trainer who is contracted and shut down and like not warm, there's no high, not high warmth in the room, yeah. there is not going to be that um, heart, heart opening. You can't. It's almost like, it's almost like you literally almost like scientifically can't. Yeah. Like, like we're guarded. If we took the word guarded out of the abstract, mm. what is a guarded person? A person yeah. probably dealing with high levels of. Um, threat detection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're dealing with threat detection. They're shut down. Neuromuscular tension is high. You know, and, and so we was doing a, a thing with a company recently, and we came up with a good question about all rooms and experiences and seminars. And like, do you want to be in this room? Is probably a really good archetype mm. for any teaching environment. Like, because you can see it in people's faces. They're like, oh, I want to be here. Like, I hope this doesn't end. Yeah. Or hey, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, right. I want to get out of here. <laughs> And I love that you're creating rooms that people want to be in mm. for really important conversations. Well, let's hope so. I mean, I think, you know, it's like it's work, right? Like I have to work on my own openness. I have sure. to look at sure. that uh, that shit that is like keeping yeah. me guarded or um, or you know nervous. Um, so so it is self work. So if I'm going to model for young people in particular who I'm working with mostly now, and that's where my passion is. Is um, how can how can I show that there's not there you know you don't have to be like your parents who who might not be as um, understanding about what you're going through as maybe like I I would hope that I am you know like I would want I want all my students to feel comfortable but it's a process like it's a it's a you know if somebody comes into the gym say and they're not quite sure what is going to happen or who you are what they're going to experience. Like, like out the gate, they're not going to be, um, like you can't, you can, they, they're not automatically going to feel comfortable. So it, it really is just a, it's not a fast process. It is, it can be slow sometimes. It, it's, it's such an exciting process that to witness, objectively to witness, you know, um, the, the material that you're bringing to the table and the opportunities that you're bringing to the table to mm. connect people around this. Have you come across, I don't know, I feel like I asked this a lot on the podcast, but it, always kind of circles back. Have you come across any of Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett's stuff? She wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. And we're, we're riveted by the book, but what, what the basic premise is that, you know, we attach emotion words to what are essentially prediction models. So I have a prediction about how an environment's going to be, how a person's going mm. to be with me. And then we reaffirm our predictions through the course of a relationship. Mm. If somebody, if, if you and I had an ongoing relationship, I would begin to predict how our interaction would be. And when it's different than we predicted, we detect for threat. We scan for threat. We say, okay, this is different. Is it still cool? Okay, no threat detection. I can relax. <laughs> or high threat detection. I'm on guard. And then we can assign an emotion word to that. I'm hurt. I'm betrayed. Um, whatever it might be. The gym environment is an environment where people come in and it's like, I don't know what their prediction model is, mm. but we generally smash it really quickly mm. and gently and playfully and, and, and sincerely 
to show them that the environment's really theirs to navigate. And mm. you could almost see the high level of tension dissipate within the first 15 minutes. Mm. And they realize that they're in an environment that really isn't like another environment. Mm. You know, that they have great agency to navigate what they want it to be. And that it isn't whatever they predicted, for wow. sure. Wow. I wonder what a lot of students' prediction model is when they hear that a sex educator is coming in. Huh. You know, what and, and how that model is shattered by what you're doing, which is so <laughs> real and important, and how that must... This is a straight question uh, to follow that. Like, when you... Did they know what the curriculum was when they were... When you started talking about pleasure-based um, focus, did they know that coming into your class? Then what What was your perception of their broken prediction model in the moment? Because oh, you said, hi, I'm Dana. We're going to talk about... Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's, those are, that's a great question. Um, I couldn't tell you what, um, I think, uh, I'm just wondering if it felt like for them a collective sigh of relief or if they all got a little nervous, did they lean in or lean out? I'm just, these are things I'm so curious about. Well, I would say it shifted from class to class. What, Mm. you know, I, I think for the majority of students and I only had 10 every, every year, which was a you know an already intimate setting sure. um, that they were m- more or less excited to go to class. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would I would love to think that, and I and I do believe that. Um, it actually a, um, a former student reported that it was one of his favorite classes. It was yeah, really cool. Yeah, and really that cool. you know even just like even just. One one student that was oh, wow. yeah. like left feeling totally. like heard and that that he learned something. I mean that that is that is definitely leaves that an impression huge. on me. Huge, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't think that he's the only one. And because conversations around sex are really fun, they can be really fun. Absolutely, and not and it can be really startling. Um, which there was, you know, I brought, uh, you know all the hard topics to the table, or at least I tried. I mean, one class was devoted to abortion and it wasn't necessarily, um, geared towards, um, seeing, you know, a right and a wrong about it, but just like having people hear each other out. And that was a a really fun facilitation for me, um, because there were strong opinions in the room going, I knew that going into it, but, um, but nobody felt triggered or nobody felt, you know, that they couldn't share. So that that felt like a win f- for me and a win for my my students who didn't have to, um, f- yeah, didn't have to feel like they were needing to protect themselves. And I can't say that for every class, but I would say that for that class in particular has always stuck with me. It's like you know that's a really tough topic. Really, yeah. really cool. And the reason I asked it is, you know, you said it kind of takes an army to do this work. Nobody can do it themselves. And so we're wondering. Sometimes I wonder. What is the necessary groundwork that needs to exist before even walking into an environment that we present to companies? And it's like, okay, well, this is going to depend on what groundwork you've laid, really, you know, because you're not going to change the entire foundation in 10 minutes unless you're some, you know, know how to do that. Right. So you would think when you walk into a classroom, okay, what needed to be present in terms of communicative um, openness, you know, people feeling comfortable in the environment? What had to be done before you even got there? I would say my own work, David. I mean, I, I, yeah. I would say that, um, and I'm obviously it's still in process as we all are still in process on our own work. Um, and trying to be like, trying to check in with our, with what we say and how we say it and what, sure. what, how we present. 
Um, cause there, I've definitely made mistakes and I've definitely said things that, um, you know, I remember way back, like seven years ago when I was like, like trying to practice being a sex educator and I would volunteer and, uh, I volunteered at, uh, one site with, um, young parents, uh, homeless moms and they were required, um, in order to stay in this facility, uh, they were required to go attend a class once a day. So I volunteered to teach a class, you know, let's talk about sex. I probably called it. And um, I, I played a game and it was so inappropriate. It was like, never have I ever. Like I played that game right. with these, right. with these, right. you know, and it was like, it was in the moment, like really fun. <laughs> right. But, you know, there was backlash. And I'm right. just like, at the time, um, I think not at the time, but now in retrospect, it's like, okay, those are those are the mistakes that you have to make. And I felt like an island at the time. Like I, I was doing this work somewhat supported, not entirely supported. And who are the other folks out there that have, have done similar work and that I um, can connect with and learn from? And it is all about making those connections. Obviously, it's, again, not feeling isolated. I love it. And I love that you said that those are the mistakes that you have to make. I mean, I think mm. we watch, we were, I've seen people and I've been a person who's been paralyzed by fear Yeah. because you, you have to either do it right or not do it, but it doesn't go right. It goes tremendously wrong at times, you know, when you fall on your face, you're like, oh shit, I can't believe I did that again. Yeah. And then you, you learn from that. And if you're not willing to make the mistake or have, you know, or screw it up, right. you just get paralyzed and frozen by fear. Right. Right. And I've had people say like, this is a really touchy topic. Like you need to be on your A game, like facilitating like really hard conversations. You need to be ultra prepared. And when you're learning, it is hard to be or feel ultra prepared for anything. And so moving through that fear of just um, putting yourself in that position at all. Um, and again, just keeping in mind, like I will say, I'll say all day, David, that I am not an expert in, in right. I'm not an expert. Totally. And I just feel and like at the same time, like so provoked to do this work and I'm not even afraid anymore that I'm not an expert. Like I, love I, that. I, yeah, I, it's, it's taken a long time, but, and I, I can't even say that like, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect and that's really hard for me to say, but, um, but I, again, I'm putting, I'm, I am putting my, my life on the line. Like I could, I could be searching for work that is guaranteed. I could be searching sure. for work mm-hmm. that, um, is, yeah, less challenging on the day to day and like less like, like I have a lot of doubt around my choices. Right. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that. Um, and I've checked in a lot, like, why am I doing this? Oh yeah. Now, like I can't not do this work. One of the themes on the show and anybody listening to it's going to kind of hear this. It just seems to be the the reoccurring theme is Mm -hmm. that people on the show have all kind of come back to the idea. Well, this is my mission. So, you know, I'm kind of caught in the fray of it. Like, like I didn't make, I'm not, you know, it's not, it's, uh, this is the work that I have to do in the world. And you watch them all come through this process of going through scary shit. Yeah. And to get to that point where they're actually doing their mission, mm. they're living their mission because that's scary. And it's probably, um, it probably, re- it's a requisite that you'd have to go through those really scary moments to get to the point where you're committed to your mission, win, lose, or die. Because it's what you're going to do and it's what you have to do. It's what you bring yeah. to the table to the community and to the party and what might be equally scary is doing something totally different like doing something where the feeling 
of the mission is not even there. Like that sounds scary it's to me too. There are all different types of fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and to, and to have the the fire that comes with doing your mission, you know, living your mission every single day, it, it is mm-hmm. such an advantage because mm-hmm. it, it, there isn't any opportunity to turn back. Yeah. You know, yeah. or if there is, it, it, it's quickly negated. I don't know that I could ever go back to doing anything else. I really, you know, you, 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 intend, you actually burn bridges every single day. It's like, I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Like, I have yeah. to do this. Like, it, right. it's no going back. You know, it's like this unintentional burning of bridges by being really not only passionate, but like you said, we're not experts. Mm-hmm. Every day we learn more. Yeah. And when we learn more, any of us who like to share what we've learned and try to become really you know, just better communicators at how we share things. Mm. There's become so much to develop and work on that it feels, mm. at least for me, like this endless journey of, oh, wow, tomorrow's going to be even better than yesterday. Wow. <laughs> We're gonna yeah. Go and get you it. have great positivity. I love that. It's so good. What do you, what would, so I would imagine that there's an entire community of people listening to this, not listening to this all over mm. who want to talk about sex mm. and they want to see this paradigm shift. And I don't know what else is happening. I'm sure great things are happening, but I don't see them all the time. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say to them? What could they, what resources exist? Mm. What could they do to facilitate conversations around sex, either in a structured way or with each other? What could they do to overcome that collective fear? Yeah. What are some tools that you've seen? Yeah. You um, hand to them? Yeah. I, you know, it is, it is difficult because there aren't that many communities that are, um, you know, just having these casual conversations, but, um, I would encourage, uh, there, I, there are a number of parts to your question, I realize, but um, the practicing of talking about sex. So I often have this reel in the back of my head. So if somebody is telling me about their day, like how great their day is, they, you know, with their partner, for example, or with the with the new person they're seeing is, is um, you know, they got they went on a bike ride. They they rode their bike to the beach. They got to play with their dog at the beach. Um, they got to go home and, and like eat lunch. And then in the back of my head, I'm always thinking like, you definitely had sex then. Like there's definitely good sex that you had because you're glowing and like you're, you're having, you know, it was such a great day. And so sometimes if I feel comfortable enough with the person, I'll be like, so do you have sex? Like how great was the sex? Like I, I'm that, I can be that blunt and, um, and, and I'm a little perverted too. And, uh, I think that's what makes that's what has like brought my interest to sex sure. is like, I am not, I'm not intimidated by having these blunt conversations totally. and, yeah. um, you know, I use perverted, but it's, it's not, it's not in like a, a, a gross way. It's like, it's more of like, just like a humanness, the human interest. That's probably what is being suppressed in the conversations about sex. Yeah. You know, like I was joking the other day about the, the Facebook data leak thing happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and somebody was like, they were shocked that somebody might have our data. I said, everybody has all of our data on anything <laughs> yeah. we've ever done. That's how they know. And, and, yeah. and you can have an opinion about whether it makes life easier, better, or worse. But I love to re- I love to remove opinion if I can and get objective. Mm. That's what the internet is. It's mm. a great big data retrieval tool. And it almost like if somebody found someone's computer and everything that they ever searched, it probably wouldn't matter because it would mirror every other computer and anything uh-huh. that any like I don't know yeah. that anything's going on for one person <laughs> that isn't going on collectively. Yes. And that's what makes these conversations I think so important. Yeah. Is that we all share this great human curiosity about sex. Right. There's no outlet or there are a few outlets to talk about it. And to get right. better about talking about it in deep and meaningful ways. Yeah, and I'll go back to the modeling too. It's like it's not because um, you know, I didn't learn this um 
just sit alone. Like I had, I had friends that I grew up with who were really open about like their sex lives. And so it's like, it's like, I'm not, I'm not ready to let that go. Like that is who I am as well. Um, I've, I've taken my experience and I want to, you know, I, I, I understand the value of, of open conversations. And so, um, I, I want to model that and, um, and yeah, vulnerability and, and, or authenticity and sex are really like touchy for people, you know, it's, it's hard. And, um, and I totally respect that if somebody doesn't want to share what they, you know, like if they had sex that day or not, like that's totally fine. But, um, that is also part of the conversation. It's like, you know, I don't feel like you made it just as casual to do that as if you said, did you see that movie or that movie? Like, like, right. I love that. Where did you go for dinner? Yeah. Basic questions that, yeah, that shouldn't be. Or don't have to be hiding in shadows. I know, and it's and it, like even just talking about it seems like so lofty. It, it, it sounds like oh, who does that? Like nobody does that. But like literally, my brain thinks about the hour that they that this person probably omitted. Omitted, right? Like, I that's love I, that. I love that. I love that idea. What do we omit, mm-hmm. and why isn't it permissible? We had yeah. a whole conversation on probably. You know, every other element of a thing. And when and I wonder if it's just out of the feeling of compulsion that we're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I don't know anyone. We talk very openly about sex at the training center mm-hmm. because we, oh, nice. we look at, um, and not about sexual experience. It just doesn't right. seem to fit in that way, in that realm. But about libido, you know, the things I want to know about a person from an athletic standpoint. Are guys getting morning erections? Um, is a female athlete's menstrual cycle compromised? What is your overall libido like? Because you're probably beating down your adrenal system pretty hard if you're not, you know, um, aroused more often than not. And we talk about that because it's a great archetype for what is your physiological health? What are you, is this training killing you? You know, it doesn't have to. Right. You can be an ultra marathoner or endurance person and be a jackhammer in all realms of life, meaning you're ready to go at everything you do. Mm -hmm. Or it can really suppress your your entire physiology. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, but but I, I haven't had... And I'd love to hear this from you. I haven't had a conversation about sex in my private life, professional life, personal life in any way that wasn't engaging and exciting that people wanted to talk about. Do you know what I mean? I, don't, I think it's probably we're all like, hey, guess what, by the way? Yeah. There's this whole realm of my life that I don't talk to anybody about ever. Yeah. And it'd be great to because I'm a human being and we're all doing the same thing. That's a variation. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are... There, there may not be, you know, your community may not feel safe enough to like have these, um, you know, somewhat casual conversations or like, you know, and, and oftentimes like I may or may not know the person very well when I ask like, so did you have sex with this person, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but there are, you know, as you said, it mentioned the internet, like there are communities online and it doesn't have to feel, um, doesn't have to feel sketchy at all because there are really, you know, great communities that are having, um, intellectual conversations and, you know, there, there are hundreds and there are hundreds of advice giving, um, what podcasts and, you know, columns out there. And, um, and I, and they're, they're popular for a reason. It's because people, people want to feel like their issue is not entirely, um, totally weird. Absolutely. <laughs> Part of our, you know, one of our, we were, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about VR and social communities. And one of our goals with the, the whole Brave program is to build a social community because I think that we may get confused 
by the idea of social media. I don't even know what social media means. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, social media almost feels like a highlight reel Mm. from your day. But that's not how we talk to each other (laughs) as people. We don't just, you know, show each other the highlight reel. We actually have intimate, vulnerable, important relationships. And I'm excited to think that we, as a people, might transcend this very limited idea of social media. But look, I got a new car. (laughs) Or look, my dog is asleep. And actually get to some (laughs) shit that matters in relation to that by having vulnerable conversations. We have an online group. And the conversations are unlike anything I've seen on the internet. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and because it's private and because people can interrelate and they mm-hmm. can actually build what I think is probably requisite for human relationships, which is based on sharing, mm-hmm. being honest and taking time and being real. They can talk about things that, you know, yeah. they don't, they, there wasn't a previous outlet to do. And I'd love to see that happen in the sex education realm. Yeah. Maybe not even exclusively. I don't know, yeah. you know, because I don't know that everything needs to be that compartmentalized. But to see it integrated, the, you asked about resources, and I the one the one that just popped up in my head is called the O School, um, and it was developed by a, a woman in her mid twenties who didn't find what she was looking for when she was searching um, the internet about information. So she created because she's a she's a computer genius. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the word is. I can't remember. Um, programmer. And she developed a school, online school, where you don't have to, I mean, you barely have to sign up. It's like so anonymous. And um, you get to join these classes and they're run by really well-spoken people, really interesting people. And you can have a conversation with the teachers in the class. That is cool. It is cool. It is cool. And I've only just given it... um, like a week of my time, but not, not any longer than that, I've, you know, because like we talked about before, I'm, I really try to limit, I don't have much of an attention span these days for the computer, but if I did, um, I would, I would know a lot more about resources online. Um, we'll put a link to the show in the show notes to the yeah. O school. Yeah. And if anything comes up afterwards to send us things that should be linked when we actually build out the show notes for this. Yeah. One. With pleasure. would love to do that. So a question that we, Close with, ask everybody, and you can take this anywhere you want, interpret it anywhere you want. So what would you do right now with, with your work or in your life overall, no boundaries, if you had no fear? Mm. You know, I, <laughs> this is a, such a hard question. Um, and so conveniently timely in my life um, because I feel like I am kind of a scared person Um, the older I'm getting, like, I feel less comfortable going camping, say, like, I feel less comfortable riding my bike in heavy traffic where back in the day I was like, so I could care less. Um, so being 34 and like more scared than I have been in my life, if I didn't have any fear, I think I would plan way more adventures and not hesitate to rock climb or swim in the ocean or all the things that the the tv says that is you know that you could you could fall to your imminent death (laughs) i think i think my work right now david is to really confront death and uh my fear of that and uh i know that's not necessarily that's that's a 
It's not a linear answer. It's really no, it's, that's the best. That's a fantastic <laughs> answer. <laughs> fucking death is no. I'm like I'm the same thing, right? It's like oh yeah, this is this isn't that long a show to begin with, right? Mm. You get a very brief span of time to be here. Yeah, you know, and that's making peace with that and, and being present and and joyful in that. It's like fuck. If it went on forever, it wouldn't really be that important because I'm really really sure <laughs> yeah, we get like right. one brief window in time to do all this shit. How fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I would enjoy the present a lot more if um, if death didn't feel like it was, uh, you know, if yeah, it's the possibility of death that limits I me. So yeah, it's a great question, and thank you for asking. I love this conversation, Dana. Yeah. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? What if somebody wanted to book a workshop or work with you in some capacity? Is there a a way they can connect with you? Thank you. That is great. Um, they can always email me at uh, Fidel, F-A-D-E-L, and then D-A, Fidelda, at gmail.com. Um, I have a website, uh, danafidel.wordpress.com, and um, you can always contact me that way. And are you on Insta as well? Yeah. I, I see you on Insta every yes. time that I'm popping. Yes, yes. Likes. So I'll post a photo and then I'll delete the app as, as my own. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's um, awesome. So. Public uh, <laughs> underscore affection. And uh, that's my Instagram handle. Dana, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I love I'm so inspired by what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, it's just such an honor you. to talk to you. So, Same here. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for being here. Peace and out, guys. Mm-hmm.